Are you tired of being told what to think and how to act? Well, you are not alone. In case you haven't realized it, you have an internal GPS. It knows all you need to know about how to live your life. So it's about time you stopped letting the media and the government tell you what is true for you. In fact, it is exactly that time. It's time to think for yourself. And here to make sure you're doing just that is your host, mediator, author, and lawyer, Carol Gold. Hi, it's Monday, August 15th. I'm Carol Gold, and welcome to Think for Yourself. Recently, I was thinking about the time when I grew up, actually when I was in high school, and I was remembering about cliques, how with girls, it tends to be social cliques, right? When we're in high school or even when we're in college, that we gravitate toward people for whatever reason. It might be ethnicity, it might be it might be economic strata. For a variety of reasons, we gravitate toward certain girls and they become what we call cliques. And with boys or young men, I think it happens around sports. They gravitate toward people who are playing the same sport that they are, or have interest in the same sport that they do. Because I think it's a natural inclination for people to want to be social and to be connected in a way that they find their identity to some extent through the group with which they identify, no pun intended. And I began to think some more about that aspect of human nature or human character development where because we're social animals, we seek to align ourselves with other people and that generally turns out to be groups. When we get older, they are sometimes hobby-related, career-related, they can still be sports-related, and they can be political, right? Which is where we are now. This incredible focus on political identity. I think all of that relates to an inherent tribalism that exists in humans when we are less developed sociologically, less developed in terms of our consciousness. And I say that because tribalism generally is not a good thing. We still see it in the Middle East a lot. We see it in Arab countries. We see that tribalism that has lingered on and continues to cause tremendous problems because there is a whole consciousness around, well, you're either in the tribe or you're out of the tribe. And the other tribe is the enemy tribe or the adverse tribe. So tribalism is, I think, a lower form and a cruder form of what happens in more advanced societies when we organize around cliques, as I said, when we're younger or sports, and then later we organize around politics, which in a sense, when I think about it, is almost a reversion, right? Because the division now, meaning a reversion toward that less advanced tribalism, because we seem now in this country very tribal very split between the in-group and the out-group. And of course, that's all around left or right politics. But a lot of us, I think, are also waking up to the damage that this has done. And I was wondering why back in, you know, in the 1970s, 80s, 90s, where people still had political affiliations and they still felt strongly about certain political candidates, I mean, even in the 1960s, John Kennedy raised tremendous public awareness in the Democrat Party and even in the non-Democrat Party. I mean, he was a very electric and charismatic candidate. 
So that allegiance to party or that involvement in politics isn't new, but there's something different about it. And I've been trying to figure out what it is, in fact, that is different. So when I was thinking back, you know, in the 60s, there was a huge cultural revolution. We had what happened with hippies and free love and sex became much more easily accessible and much less sociologically constrained and frowned upon. It was the time of, you know, free love, etc. We had the Beatles. There was a revolution in music. But what happened, despite all of the cultural upheaval, what was really happening underneath that that held the society together, despite the revolutionary aspect that was happening in the culture, and despite the political differences? And I think what it was, was that the country still had the underpinning that held the fabric of society together. And that underpinning was the U.S. Constitution. Because no matter how radical the culture or even the politics got, there was an an adherence to the Constitution and a respect for the law that flowed from it. And for the most part, let's call it equal application. Now, I'm sure there are people of minority groups. I'm sure there are blacks in this country who would say, well, it wasn't equally applied. It was a bad time for black people in terms of the justice system and in terms of national policing. And that may well be true and probably is documented historically, but I'm talking about the bigger picture. I'm talking about the nation as a whole. Yes, we may have had these problems in pockets and in certain pockets in particular of certain ethnic groups, but as a nation, we somehow still had the glue called the Constitution that held us together. So what happened? Well, first of all, I think, as I always say, the technology, which has such incredible positive potential, comes with it equally negative potential. And we've seen a lot of that. So I think this is an area in which the technology has amplified the worst of us. Because technology has given this tribalism a really far reach, and it has given it a place to organize. So you can organize by tribe, and you can do it globally. Your tribe may not be limited anymore to your geographic region. And I think that's what's happened. However, At the same time that the cultural revolution that we appear to be going through, and remember, we went through one in the 60s. It was not the same, but it was a cultural revolution nonetheless. As that happened, remember, there was still this adherence to the Constitution. But with technology having amplified the effects of what tribalism can do, we have had a simultaneous erosion of the underpinning that kept the fabric of society together. We have had a simultaneous dismantling of the unifying principle, the Constitution, that has held us together. And it's ironic, and I'll, well, it's not ironic that it's been dismantled. It's deliberate that it's been being dismantled, has been and continues to be dismantled. But the irony is, is that the Constitution actually acknowledged and provided for the tribalism in a very highly evolved way. And that was because of the concept of federalism. What the concept of federalism did 
was allow individual states, individual regions, individual areas, whatever way you want to look at it, to live in whatever way, let's say, the tribe wanted. Meaning, if you were Quaker and you wanted to live a Quaker's life and you wanted to follow those religious constraints, you lived in Pennsylvania. If you didn't, you moved on to another area and perhaps founded the next state or another state. And as that happened and people moved west, they congregated in communities that had like minds and like values and like goals for the most part. And that was the brilliance of federalism. You did have a centralized government, but it had very limited power. But yet there was this recognition that people should be able to live with like-minded people without being prohibited from doing so by people who had a different view of the, of the world, who had a different view of how you should live your life. And as long as all of them were doing no harm to one another, those, I'm going to call them tribes, were fine. That division was fine because there was this unifying principle, the Constitution, which had an umbrella that brought all of these diverse and disparate tribes under a generalized governance system called federalism, with a federal government, a centralized government that was responsible for certain limited powers. That's really the genius of what we were gifted. Because remember, they had left England for the very reason of being persecuted for the things that they wanted to do that were not in alignment with what the church and what the state was doing. Well, not the state, but the, the, uh, the royalty, I guess, as it were, King George. So if you take this tribalism, this inherent need for us to connect, and I call it tribalism because I think it's that, as I said, at its lowest form, at its highest form, it's oneness, but at its highest form, there is no division. And we're not there. We still live in a world of, of separation. We live in a world of paradox and opposites and extremes. And we live in a world where there's black and white and up and down and left and right. We live in a dichotomous world. And as long as we do, we're probably always going to have people who see things differently and who fall on a gradation along those spectrums of opposites. Along with the tribalism, along with the breakdown of the unifying principle, the Constitution, that holds it all together, there's another human quality or characteristic that is the egoic drive to control. And it's very fundamental. Those people have existed since the beginning of time who feel a need to control others. And some people feel a need to control others on a very grand scale. And they are the standout people in history for good or for bad, who have manipulated and maneuvered sometimes for the good and sometimes for the bad. But their goal nonetheless is to impose their view upon others so that others live exactly the way those with the egoic need to control demand that they live. And when they can't do that, when there is resistance to that among the people attempted to be controlled, then historically force is used as a form of compliance or as a form to force compliance. 
And those people have existed in every generation and they exist today. They're all around us. And many of them have risen to positions of power, both nationally and globally. I believe that they are currently feeding on the separation that's been created. And I think they're validating the tribalism. But all the while, they're professing that they're doing it for unity's sake. But if you notice what they are doing, which is destroying the unifying principle, the Constitution, dismantling it, going around it, ignoring it, defying it, then their actions belie their words. Because it's easy to talk and it's a lot harder to do, which is why we say you should judge someone not by what they say in a sense, but by what they do. Because actions speak louder than words. We have these sayings for a reason. And the reason is that they're valid and they impart wisdom. So where we are currently, I think we have devolved to a stunning degree of separation. And while I think there are people who are waking up to this fact and the damage that it is doing, the underlying unifying principle of the Constitution that would normally hold it all together during a period of chaos is in danger of being made inconsequential. And when that happens, when you destroy the unifying principle, then you really have not only chaos, but you create an opportunity for people whose ultimate goal is not the highest good for all. It's the highest good for themselves and a few. And that is replete throughout human history. Those are all of the empires and, and all of the oppressive regimes that have ever existed because they all did until this nation, the United States of America, lacked the unifying principle, not a principle of forced compliance, but a principle of guided compliance, meaning it created a framework that allowed goodness to flourish within it, but it had its boundaries. And when you caused harm to someone within that framework, there was a paradigm and there were consequences for the harm done. Those are what are being negated. So an awful lot of people and organizations and agencies are getting away with causing harm outside of the boundaries of the Constitution, outside of the boundaries of the unifying principle, and there is no consequence for that behavior. Now, I always say on here that my goal is to give you a higher perspective is to let you see this from the top of the mountain so that maybe it looks a little different than it may look under a microscope. And I've spent the first 15, 16 minutes under the microscope, but I want to back up and give you the broader view. And it isn't mine. I actually heard this and I'm going to give you my version of what I heard. On the Hebrew calendar, there is a holiday called Tish B'Av. Tish means nine, and Ba'av means of Av. So it is the ninth of the month of Av, the Hebrew month of Av, which generally falls sometime in August. That holiday is a holiday of great historical tragedy in Judaism. Both temples, the original temple and the second temple were destroyed. And many other tragic things have happened on the Jewish calendar on that very day. 
So on that day, I, I was listening to a presentation by a rabbi online, and the rabbi gave an incredible example of the higher view. And to the best of my ability, I will share it with you. Think about baking cookies. Think about baking chocolate chip cookies, right? Make believe you are lining up all of the ingredients in front of you in separate little dishes. So you have the flour in one dish, the butter, the eggs, the milk, the baking soda, the sugar, and the chocolate chips. Now, if we were going to rank a number one to 10 in terms of what each of those tastes like, it would look something maybe like this. You would stick your finger in the flour and taste it and it would be, you know, a two. Wouldn't be so great. And you might then stick your finger in the butter and that might be a six. And then the eggs would be, you know, down there with the flour, maybe a one or two. And the milk, maybe a seven. The baking soda, a one. The sugar, an eight. The chocolate chips, a nine. So you had these different rankings. If you were to only have the flour at number two, you wouldn't think very much of what you were creating. But when you put them all together and you get the chocolate chip cookie, wow, you know, on a scale of one to 10, it's an 11 if you've baked it right. In many ways, our existence is like that. We tend to get caught up in the individual ingredients of our lives, our personal lives, our national life, our global life. And looking at each one of them individually, and and as we do, not only daily, but sometimes hour to hour and minute to minute, thanks to the technology and to the internet and all of the devices that bring us all of that 24-7, we lose perspective. Yes, some of it is a one or two, some of it is a six, some of it's an eight, some of it's a four. But in the end, from the highest possible viewpoint, it's an 11. It's life with all of its blessings and all of its challenges, all of its joy and all of its pain. And all of it is for the highest good of all concerned. Because when we as humans elevate our consciousness to the point where we no longer need tribalism to understand who we are, that we are truly creations of a divine being that seeks to experience life through each one of us because it is only through us that that can be done in the material physical world. When we realize that, when we realize we're all God in action, then there won't be the need for tribalism because the realization will be that at that level, there's only one of us. We're all connected. So for the rest of this week, while you may want to rank what's happening to you in your life and in the nation's life from one to 10, periodically take a breath and think about what it all looks like from the top of the mountain. And for as long as you're able to do that, enjoy the view. Thanks for listening. I'm Carol Gold. I'll be back here again on Wednesday. And until then, please think for yourself. Carol thanks you for spending your valuable time with her. It is her mission to empower you to remember how smart and capable you are. Be sure to check out Carol's website, carolgold.com. 
That's Carol with an E. Gold.com. Please leave a review and subscribe here so you'll be alerted to Carol's next podcast. Until then, above all else, remember, it's time to think for yourself. <laughs>